I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, September 6, 2022. Coming up, we talk with CU medical professor Rick Johnson about why nature wants us to be fat. Please don't hear this talk and go, oh my God, I can't eat anything that's good because it's not true. It's the problem of eating some foods that are really bad, like liquid sugar is really bad. Once you understand the mechanism, you can actually figure out the best way to avoid activating the switch and giving you back your health. It's September, when bears fatten up for the harsh winter up ahead. Colorado Medical School professor Richard Johnson says bears do this because they eat fruit and berries that are filled with a sugar known as fructose. Johnson says fructose triggers a survival switch that drives bears to gorge and gain weight so they can survive a winter of hibernation. How does this work for people? Johnson believes modern Western foods can push our survival switches into overdrive. Johnson explains all this in his latest book, Nature Wants Us to Be Fat. And he warns it's not just fructose that triggers this switch. Here's CU Medical Professor Rick Johnson. You know, fructose or sugar is the primary driver of obesity. Sugar or high fructose corn syrup make up about 15% of our diet. Children, adolescents, and also disadvantaged populations are often eating a higher percentage of sugar. So that is your number one driver. But there are other drivers of obesity and they're very important. Originally, when we were studying this, we were thinking, hey, it's all sugar, you know? And so my first book was, hey, let's just cut out sugar and fructose. But it wasn't enough. It's not enough. And that is because of the sad discovery (laughs) by our group that Other foods trigger this switch, the survival switch, I call it. And this switch can be triggered by foods such as high glycemic carbs, bread, rice, potatoes, and chips. These foods do not contain fructose, but they actually can do this. And what we found is they stimulate the production of fructose in the body. So it isn't just about the fructose we eat. It's about the fructose we make. And no one was really thinking of foods as working by causing us to make fructose. Everyone was thinking it was the foods we were eating. It's it's the carbs and the protein and the fat. But it turns out that these carbs, which we call high glycemic carbs, They're called high glycemic carbs because when you eat them, they release glucose and the glucose gets into the blood and your normal glucose is like 80 to 100. But when you eat a high glycemic carb, the glucose in the blood can go up transiently, maybe to 120, 130, 140 or 150, but it's transient. So everyone just says, well, don't worry about it. Or if you do worry about it, they say, well, the problem is that it stimulates insulin and insulin puts fat on you. But what we found is that when the glucose levels go up, that triggers the body to make 
fructose from the glucose. And the glucose can be converted to fructose through a chemical reaction. And we call that reaction the polyol pathway. Polyol sounds like everything thrown in, including the kitchen sink, polyol. Yeah, that sort of sounds like that. It was a name given to it a long time ago. It's been known that the body can make fructose, but no one thought it was important. What we found is that, that a number of foods trigger the production of fructose in the body. And animals use this. So not all animals eat fruit to become fat. There are animals that don't eat fruit that become fat other ways. One way is high glycemic carbs. They will cause obesity. Now, when you say high glycemic, you mean any food that you eat that turns quickly into sugar. Or it turns quickly into glucose. And then your glucose levels go up in the blood. And when that happens, it triggers the production of an enzyme that converts some of the glucose to fructose. So the glucose isn't actually what causes the obesity. It, it does a little bit through stimulating insulin. The real way uh, high glycemic foods cause obesity and diabetes is because they get converted to fructose in the body. So fructose is unique among nutrients. Think of energy as two forms of energy. You've got the energy that we are burning all the time that we're using up, and we call that energy ATP. And that energy is in our cells, and it's allowing me to talk to you right now. It's allowing you to talk to me. It's allowing you to stand up and do all the things that you are doing. And it allows me to eat, walk, talk, breathe, everything. So ATP is our main fuel. And we can store fuel. And when we store our energy, it's in the form of fat or sometimes glycogen. Glycogen is sort of the storage form of carbohydrates. But it's fat that's our main storage fuel. Well, that makes sense because it would take a lot of sugar cubes stored on the body to be able to store enough energy. And fat is much more efficient at storing energy. Yes, it's like nine calories per gram. So when you store fat, it's a great way to store energy. So it turns out that the place where ATP is made are in energy factories that we call mitochondria. And these mitochondria are pouring out the ATP that allows us to do what we want. The mitochondria actually use oxygen to help make this ATP. So much of the oxygen we breathe is used to help make energy that we use. So what fructose does is really clever. What it does is it generates a substance called uric acid and our data suggests that what the uric acid does is it sort of quiets down the mitochondria. It does so by causing oxidative stress to the mitochondria. And when that happens, the mitochondria produce less ATP. And so where does the energy go? If you make less ATP, the energy goes to fat. And so it sort of shunts the calories we're eating to fat instead of immediate energy. You said that it's not just sugar, it's not just fructose that can cause this to happen. Unfortunately, this polyol pathway indicates there's some other foods people eat, especially if this pathway is already running, that will lead to somebody still having problems with their metabolism, with gout, high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, what are some of the other foods that do this? So we already mentioned high glycemic carbs. 
That's why a low-carb diet is so effective, or a keto diet, because it's removing not only sugar from the diet, but these high glycemic carbs. Leptin is a hormone that's released by the fat cells that tells us when to stop eating. And normally, animals are very sensitive to leptin, and they won't eat more than they need, and they you know, will just maintain their weight. But in order to gain weight, you have to lose your ability to regulate the weight. And fructose makes you keep eating. So there's one camp that would say that the reason that Americans, for instance, have these metabolic challenges and so much obesity, something that they didn't have 50 years ago as a population, is because food just tastes so darn good. But you described something where it becomes an addictive, desperate craving if somebody's hormone balance, their metabolism, their fructose signaling is out of whack. Yeah. The fructose drops the ATP in the cell. So your immediate energy is less and your stored energy is more. What happens when the ATP levels go down, you sense that low energy and you get hungry. And so you eat more and you become resistant to leptin. And so you're eating more. Over the last century, the plates of food that people get gets bigger and bigger in the restaurants. And it isn't because that's a good thing to attract you. They're doing it because they know that if they don't, you're going to leave hungry. And if you leave hungry, you're not going to come back. So it turns out that there's a biology that's going on. And we're eating more and exercising less because of a switch that's been activated. You're tuned to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Shelley Schlender, speaking with CU School of Medicine professor Rick Johnson. Johnson is the author of Nature Wants Us to be Fat. His research shows that consuming high fructose sugar triggers a survival switch that leads some animals and people to crave calories and store them as fat. He says the survival switch can also trigger by eating starchy foods such as potatoes and rice. But if Johnson's theories are correct, How come whales who live in the ocean, far away from fruit or bread? Why are whales fat? Here's Rick Johnson. When we realized that the body can make fructose, we began to think about animals in the desert and animals in the oceans. You know, the fattest animal in the world is the whale. And it's not eating fruit. It's not eating bread. So how does it get fat? And so one of the questions was, what other mechanisms could drive fat? And the way we tried to figure it out was kind of a pretty cool way. You know, what is the benefit of fat for an animal in this ocean? And here's the trick. When a whale burns fat, or when any animal burns fat, you're making energy, right? But you're also making water. Fat doesn't contain water. But when you burn fat, you produce water. You produce water and carbon dioxide. Fat is a source of water, not just energy. Rick Johnson, you're implying that one reason that some animals store fat isn't just for energy. It's so that they can get fresh water. Right. One third of the water that a whale gets comes from its fat. And your book was fascinating to read, talking about a desert lizard that makes its tail extremely fat. Yeah when there's enough water and food so that during the drought season, it can survive and have enough water. 
In hot climates and dry climates, animals don't really want to have fat on their body because it can increase their body temperature. So they tend to put the fat in their tails or like on a hump on their back, like the camel. And this way, the fat in the hump can be used to produce water, but it's not going to overheat them when they're wandering in the desert. Once we knew that these animals were using fat as a source of water, and, and actually there's a primate, the fat-tailed dwarf lemur. That fat-tailed part of its name is the clue. Yes, that's the clue. And what it does is during the dry season, when there's very little water around, it will effectively hibernate. They call it estivate. It's like hibernation, but they go into a hollow in the tree and they live off the fat in their tail and they use it not just for energy, but a key part of it is to get the water from it. So once we knew that fat was a source of water, then we knew that animals would want to put on fat as a means to provide water. Rick Johnson, you seem to be saying that animals evolved to take advantage of the fact that fat is a stable way to store energy and also to store water. Yes, exactly. And this opened up the idea that maybe mild dehydration could be a stimulus for fat. Because if you were mildly dehydrated, it would be like an alarm signal to you to say, hey, I might need to find water. And so you would look for water. You could turn on a hormone called vasopressin, which helps concentrate the urine. But couldn't fat production be also part of this? And so we started studying this, and we found that this polyol pathway gets turned on in dehydrated states. So if you become dehydrated, your body starts to make fructose to help store fat as a source of water. And then we went on and realized that actually dehydration is not a good condition to be in. The classic dehydration is a situation where you're losing water, like diarrhea, vomiting, like an animal that has bled or something and it's gotten dehydrated. In those circumstances, it's not really great for the animal. So it would be wiser for the animal to not lose water, but figure out how to gain water. And one way to do that is to eat salt, because if you eat salt, you're not actually losing any water, but you're increasing the salt concentration in your blood, which is the same thing that happens when you lose water. But now, when the salt concentration goes up in your blood, that stimulates the polyol pathway. And now, when you eat even carbs that don't raise your glucose up, now you're going to convert those to fructose. Oh, because this is a way to get the body to store more fat, which means store more water. Right. That implies you found that somebody eating a lot of salt in their diet can also be increasing their fat storage, increasing a lot of these yeah. parts of the fructose pathway that can be damaging if it's on too long. Yeah, so just like we have a taste receptor to encourage us to eat sugary foods, we have a taste receptor to ask us to eat salty foods. And it turns out that almost everyone who's overweight or obese tends to be dehydrated. They have slightly higher salt concentrations in their blood. And if you do fancy testing, bioimpedance, where you measure dehydration through that mechanism, they have a 12-fold increased risk for being dehydrated compared to a lean person. Basically, it's because of all the salt and also sugar dehydrates as well. And so these two things activate 
the production of fructose in your body. Rick Johnson, I'm making the checklist of ideas from your book, Nature Wants Us to Be Fat, for helping a body be in better balance in this modern world with all of these extra foods that we can eat or substances we can take in. And in the book, you're suggesting that people might be better off eating less salt, eating less sugar, eating less concentrated fructose not fruit juice. Correct. Or the table sugars that have a combination of fructose and glucose in them. Also, you mentioned that if people, when they're hungry, drink water, they might actually reduce the craving for food at that point. Yeah. When we realized that salt could cause obesity and we showed it in animals and we then did clinical studies in people and showed that salt intake correlates with an increased risk for diabetes and things like that. Others have found it too. We realized that there was more than one mechanism to drive obesity. Not only sugar, but high salt is playing a role. Interestingly, the way high salt works, and actually even the way sugar works partly, is by making you appear dehydrated. So when you drink a soft drink, your blood test will show you get dehydrated, not hydrated. That stimulates the production of fructose and the development of obesity. So we decided that hydrating with water might actually be a mechanism to block obesity, right? And yet there's all these physicians that write, hey, you don't need to drink extra water. The kidneys are going to do the work for you. If you don't drink enough water, the kidneys are going to concentrate the urine. They're going to take care of you that way. It all depends, doesn't it? Because somebody who is eating in a way that means they're not triggering this fat switch, survival switch, they may not need as much water to drink. But somebody whose metabolism is out of balance in this place where their cravings are high, it may be a different story. Actually, if you get dehydrated, you're going to activate the switch. Dehydration activates the switch. So it may be that the kidneys can control the urine output so that your blood volume ends up being normal. But if it's been activated to try to hold on to water, it's also been activated to make you fat. That's the problem. We tested this by taking people and giving them salty soup. What's great about soup is you can hide the salt in it. And when we gave them salty soup, we could show immediately their blood pressure went up right away and they activated the switch. We could show it. But if you gave it with water, you could block that. And if we took animals on sugar and we gave them extra water, we could reduce their risk for obesity, even if they ate the same amount of sugar. So it turns out a lot of the way this is working is through dehydration. You know, about 10 years ago, it was discovered that people with obesity tend to have a circulating hormone called vasopressin that's high. And no one understood why people with obesity have this elevation in their hormone called vasopressin. And vasopressin is the hormone that holds on to water. And it does so by reducing the amount of urine you make. It concentrates the urine. It's what makes the urine dark yellow. And so everyone was thinking, ah, this is what vasopressin does. This is what I learned in medical school. Vasopressin is the hormone that blocks us from losing too much water through the urine. But in some animals, vasopressin has other mechanisms. For example, in the frog, vasopressin prevents water loss through the skin of the frog. And there's some evidence that vasopressin may actually reduce the loss of water vapor from the lungs. So we thought, well, maybe vasopressin is involved in obesity. Maybe it tries to store fat. And when we studied it, we found that vasopressin was, in fact, a hormone that dries fat. 
and that it's working not through the classical receptor it does for urinary concentration, but it works through a special receptor called the V1B receptor. And when that happens, vasopressin actually drives fat production. It's actually part of how sugar causes fat. And so all of these are examples where you're eating food, maybe your body even needs the energy, and instead your cells are shunting the energy not into something you can use to breathe or move or something like that, but instead your body is shunting more of it into storage as fat. Yes. So you're saying dehydration all by itself can trigger this so that you're not using the energy in your body to repair your cells. You're using it to turn this energy into fat. Yeah. So we talk about hydration. Hydration is good because it will reduce your risk for being fat to be well hydrated. If you're dehydrated, it's going to turn on the switch. But there's a new phrase that's called underhydrated. And underhydrated refers to the fact that you start by being a little thirsty, but you're able to correct it. So you're able to hold on to water and kind of turn off this mechanism so you're no longer thirsty. But what's happened is your urine's still concentrated because everything's working to keep you in balance. You're still turning on vasopressin. You're still turning on the polyol pathway. And you are now hydrated normally, but at the expense that these systems are turned on. So you're underhydrated. And when that happens, you're actually triggering the fat production. You think you're hydrated, but you're only hydrated so that you're no longer thirsty, but all the systems to hold on to water are still turned on. Well, we have talked about so many different ideas that tie in with what we choose to do, starting with having high concentrated forms of fructose in sodas, in fruit juices, plus foods that are very starchy can end up triggering the same pathway that starts to store fat. How dehydration and salt can both trigger this pathway as well. And there's a third way too, Shelley. These two are big enough, but I'll go ahead. Yeah, there are, the there are very big ways. So the other thing is we have, remember we have a third taste. That third taste is called savory. It's so, you know, why tomato sauce uh, and spaghetti sauce taste so good. It's kind of like that cured dried tomato taste. It's why gravies are good and curing meat makes it delicious. It's why beer is so good because of the yeast extract. It's why Caesar salads taste good, you know, because of the Parmesan. And it's why blue cheese dressing tastes good to some people. The umami flavor is really loved. And the umami flavor is due to a substance called glutamate, also to two nucleotides called IMP and AMP. And sadly, IMP and AMP are directly in the mechanism to generate uric acid. You know, when fructose is metabolized, it makes uric acid and it uses these substances that trigger this taste of savory. IMP and AMP are part of that pathway. And not only that, glutamate turns out to be converted to uric acid in the body. These three substances can activate the switch as well. And they do so through the same pathway, but just a little bit after the fructose. Especially processed red meats tend to be rich in this. And things like organ meats and shellfish, beer. So it's a little bit depressing. The good news is the umami pathway is less powerful because we don't eat much of it. We eat only a few grams of glutamate a day 
but we eat 70 grams of sugar a day. So there's a big difference in the amount that we're eating and sugar is the big boy that's driving this. High glycemic carbs are the second big one, but it is true, you can activate this pathway. And people can read your book, Nature Wants Us to Be Fat, to find out not only all of the details of these mysteries, but also some of the dietary recommendations you have, foods you can eat, ways you can live that will benefit you so that you're more likely to live a life that has a long health span and be symptom-free of some of these terribly painful or die young or be debilitated young diseases. And in my book, I actually lay out a plan and I also believe that you should still be able to eat a little sugar. You should still be able to eat a little bit of high glycemic carbs. And a lot of it is supported by research and experimental studies, including studies where we supplemented patients with, with fruits, for example, and showed that natural fruits, when given modestly, actually makes things better, not worse. So please don't hear this talk and go, oh my God, I can't eat anything that's good because it's not true. It's the problem of eating some foods that are really bad, like liquid sugar is really bad. Once you understand the mechanism, you can actually figure out the best way to avoid activating the switch and giving you back your health. I'm Shelley Schlender. We'll post an extended version of this interview on our website, along with the transcript. Our guest has been CU Medical Professor Rick Johnson, author of the new book, Nature Wants Us to be Fat. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Beth Bennett. This week's show was produced and engineered by yours truly, Shelley Schlender. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Hibernation, Sounds of the Earth, and Baby Bash. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and ways to follow us online. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender.